0: going on
1: man
0: hey what's happening happy uh happy wednesday
1: happy wednesday bro how you doing
0: not bad not bad yourself
1: ah, i'm good man regular work day man normal day you got all your trucks booked i wish man two left, two left.
0: <laughs> well this should be fun man um ken's a ken's a great guy and you know, we haven't gotten into the analytics um there's a lot of talk of broker margin you know where the analytics come from and Ken's a great guy. I mean, he's always, there's a, when you have that job, you know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of criticism and, you know, he's very open um, about this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, we're excited to, uh, excited to have him on.
1: Yeah. I mean, over all the years I've been doing this, I think we've heard more than a billion times by now, like where do they get this numbers from, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'm really happy to, to have Ken on today to try to, you know, get some understanding behind it.
0: Yeah, me too. If anyone in the you know comments has any questions too, we'll, uh, you know, we'll ask those as well and let's uh let's bring Ken in. Yep. There
1: you go. Hey Ken.
0: Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Doing Good. well, doing well. How about yourself? Happy uh happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday,
2: happy new year. Beautiful <laughs> day in Ohio, you know. Hey,
1: how's the weather in Ohio? Is it bad or you not? Know, I have a truck heading that way, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> we experienced three seasons yesterday. It started with accumulating snow, and then sleet, and then thunderstorms, and wind, and then freezing rain and snow. It's snowing right now.
1: Nice, man. Nice, perfect. I want to know to to take it easy, going that way, man.
0: Yeah. So I guess to start, Ken, you want to give us kind of ask everyone this, but you want to kind of give us your you know background, how you got into freight and you know data, and yeah
2: yeah so out of college i graduated after the great recession or kind of during the great recession i got into deregulated energy um anyone who stays in that line of work for too long either gets burnout or goes to jail um <laughs> think about enron um urcott all those different energy scandals um uh, which actually probably would have happened truthfully had i stuck around um got into fedex as just kind of a bridge great name thought it would be a short stop thought trucking was boring believe it or not energy is really exciting for analytics I fell in love with the industry, Uh, spent about seven or so years there, Uh, used DAT extensively. I spoke at a few of their conferences. As it happens, um, often you get poached. Uh, It's crazy to think that was over four years ago now at this point. Um, But my background is largely in pricing um, and data analytics, Um, getting into data science a little bit later in my career, which is largely what I do here. I I oversee all of our market insights, all of our product development um, for our analytics products our data science and our commercial analytics
0: efforts. Well, that'd be interesting. So, that so you started during COVID at DAT.
2: I started in nineteen as one of our first remote employees and then everyone became a remote employee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean there were some good things that came out of it.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
2: So it was it was an interesting time.
1: Yeah,
0: no, crazy time to be in, uh, in trucking and logistics. So I guess kind of to get into the, into the meat of it. So are you the one, you know, that you're, you you know, when you go on DAT and you put in a lane, you know, from here to here, reefer, you know, van, um, you know, it shows you a number. Are you the one that's kind of getting that data, you know, and coming up with that number you and your, you and your team?
2: Yeah. So it's, um, it's a whole set of teams that work on that product. Uh, but I would be, I guess what you would consider at the top of that pyramid, um, and I say that not out of kind of self-absorption, just kind of organizationally. I, I oversee that process um, in those teams and I work with those customers. So yeah, that's my that's my area of expertise. We recently brought on a new CPO, chief product officer, uh, to help... Not to help, but to lead developing more products that use the data. Um, so I'm really, really, really excited to partner with him um, on putting the rates into more of the different DAT products. You mainly see them on the load board and in rate view right now, but there's going to be a bunch more products coming out that use the rate data.
0: I think where everyone's you know interested, you see on LinkedIn and you're so open about answering this kind of stuff, which is cool, and on on Twitter. But you know, for the viewers, you know, how how do you guys find this data? Like are you guys getting the you know rate cons from you know, the brokers, um, you know, carriers, you know, the different size companies or, you know, what kind of goes into gathering the data that, you know, gets the uh, gets the rates. Yeah, great question. Biggest
2: misconception out there is that we get date, date, uh, rate data from the load board and that's not true. So anyone who's ever seen what a broker puts in the posted rate on a load board on average knows that you can't use that data to build accurate rating products, right? very 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 rarely and only in like bizarrely honest circumstances is the rate that's put in a posted rate what actually transacts for that load right it's usually higher and then they negotiate down or it's lower to attract people to call and they negotiate up very rarely is unless it's a book now load is that the actual so we have direct relationships with roughly 1300 It, it, it ebbs and flows but 1300 direct contributors uh, I put them in two buckets because it's really hard nowadays to tell who's a broker and who's like, what would you consider Schneider? Are they a broker? I'm not saying they're a contributor, but if they were, would they be a broker or a broker carrier or a carrier,
0: right? Yeah, I would say like a little bit of both, maybe. <laughs>
2: yeah. So it's a, mix of ca- it's a mix of shippers and what I would call broker carriers. Uh, we have some small carriers that contribute, but it's so hard for them to like aggregate this information up and send it to us. Um, it's something we want to work on, but It all comes in direct it's verified it's cleaned it's inserted into our database and then it's used for all the rating products and it's all verified transactions like right out of their tms Mm -hmm. usually it's not um, Mm -hmm. load board posts or any of that kind of stuff
1: so let me hold on to this because this is going to be the biggest takeaway and kind of the bombshell for me and for i mean like for everybody realistically i think every single person thinks that the rate that you guys provide is from the load board and that brings up like this from reddit yesterday i was going through reddit and the middle comment you'll see the guy talk about um or is it yeah about like postings with four pick two drops or hazmat affecting your guys's provided rate but now you're saying there's that that's not the case whatsoever that pricing does not come from posted rate on loads correct now um, a lot of people will say, well, I got you, right? Because load board
2: loads are included, but we only see them after they've been booked, entered into the TMS, verified, and shipped over, right? So let's just say, Alex, you, you, you book a load and you, a load that you posted on our load board gets booked, right, you book that in your TMS or it, it came to us most likely from your TMS through an API connection. It's booked, the carrier picks it up, that night, most of this stuff happens overnight, your TMS dumps all the load you booked that day in our database. And what you paid for it um, gets gets submitted to us and what in a, in a lot of cases what you the sh- what you charge the shipper gets dumped to us. So a lot of people ask like well what happens if there's detention? We actually go back and update you you know, they send us the transactions every single night. So when we see a load ID that has an updated Uh, payment amount, we go ahead and update it in the database. So it's that level of connection that we have with our customers that allows us to make these rating uh, tools. If we relied on load board data, um, I would be much more skeptical as a user, to be honest, because that data
1: is so shaky. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is uh, even from your conversations we'll get into later from LinkedIn today, from that Reddit post, which we'll get back to later. I think, I mean, I've been around a bunch of different carrier offices and I know like thousands of dispatchers. Like, I think the general consensus from the carrier side, I mean, the broker's side, I'm sure is the same, is that those rates come from posted loads on the load board. And now that we're sitting here and we're saying that that's not true. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing we're gonna take from this. And I was thinking actually last night, because I thought this whole time, that's how it worked. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, hey, why don't they make a system where you know brokers carriers shippers can send them the rate con of a verified rate and they use that data and here we are and that's actually what's happening because that's the correct way to do it
2: yeah and and the easy way to test this and i think to get people kind of on board is to ask them how would we get the carrier the shipper to carrier contract data that we report if it all came from the load board right walmart's not posting loads on our load board they're moving (laughs) the freight direct so how would we get that information if we pulled it from load board right so it's um it's a hard trust is hard to build in our industry right i mean if i'm talking to coca-cola or if i'm talking to ch robinson there's a lot more kind of mutual understanding of how the world works when you're talking to a really really small broker or certainly a small carrier you have to build a lot of trust there before they can accept um, cause most people don't probably don't believe what I just said,
1: right? Yeah, um, I mean, that's the thing that I'm sitting here that like, you just blew my mind. And I'm sure you might have said this on different podcasts I might not have watched. but I mean, I've been in this industry years, and I thought for sure that that's how it worked. And now that I'm hearing it, like I'm hearing it, but am I believing it? You
0: know? I kind of want to touch on that too, with small carriers too, because i I noticed, you know on on Twitter, you know, or X, there's a lot of small carriers, and you know they sometimes are more, disbelieving of the data and thinking that they aren't, you know, aren't included. Um, but you know, you're getting, you know, rates from, you know, big shippers, small shippers, small brokers, big brokers, small carriers. I mean you guys are trying to evenly divide where you're getting the data from, right? Yeah. And it's, it's imperfect, right? It,
2: would I love to get more data from like ultra small carriers, um, Would I love to get more hazmat or multi-stop data? Absolutely. Like we're never going to stop in our quest to continue to get more data, right? Because look, if you wanted to start a freight data analytics company, you should start with all of the core lanes for driving. Like Atlanta to Chicago, it's not hard to build a rating product to give people insights from Chicago to Atlanta or Houston to Vegas. Like the key lanes, everyone has data on those. You can probably use your own data for that. It's the, um, it's the periphery. It's the specialized equipment. It's all of the things that having the right amount of data matters. Is kind of what we focus most of our. If no one contributes an incremental Atlanta to Chicago drive-in for a Tuesday pickup for forty thousand pounds, I'm ha- I won't lose sleep, right? <laughs> it's um. It's the data that isn't as common that
0: I'm most interested in. My team's most interested in now. Um, is it hard to get that data? Probably more accurate. I mean, I, I I think this was probably what John, you know, when John posted today, and you know, he ships out a lot of remote areas. I mean, obviously, there's probably less data from you know Wyoming to Maine. You know, uh, flatbed on your on your site because it's just not that many people run that lane, so it's hard to probably get the data. I would guess. Yeah. So we have 99 of the top 100 brokers that contribute.
2: So if there's data that exists on a lane, we pretty much. If it does, if we don't have it, I doubt anyone has it. Right. Um, so that's kind of point one point two, I think 90%. And again, I got, you have the thing up here that what I jabbed John on a little bit is I think 90, 90% of what he said was totally spot on. I just think he took it to a point where it's like, well, since you don't have data on this BFE, West Virginia to Columbus lane, you shouldn't trust any of the data. And I think, well, if you take one little tiny step back and say, maybe if DAT doesn't have data on this lane, I should use some other sources or use my expertise or make some calls because it's going to be really hard to price. I I think absence of data sometimes gives us more information than we realize. You know, If you look up a carrier that's been in business for five years and doesn't have a single inspection and there's some funky reporting on SaferWeb, doesn't the absence of that information tell you a little bit about what might be going on there? Yeah. Um, Versus seeing five out of service inspections and, you know, a fatal accident. It's easy to spot the data that's right in front of our face, right? It's harder to spot um, sometimes
0: what the absence of the data is telling us. That was interesting what you said too. And I'm sure you can't name them understandably, but you said there's one ninety nine of a hundred. So there's one brokerage that you know doesn't want to. What <laughs> doesn't want to report? I mean, do they have a, a reasoning a reasoning for that? Or obviously, without saying who it is, I'm just yeah, they're know. just not a customer anymore. Okay. Um, so, so they use DAT. Uh, correct. Okay. Um, do you see too like kind of you know going with the data and in, in lesser areas that I noticed this from a broker. If you you know had the graph going up on a lane on DAT or going down drastically and you know, sometimes it takes a couple days to, or a week to catch up. So if like, it's saying a rate is, you know, 2100, but you know, a bunch of lanes are posted at, you know, 22, 23, but if it's going up or down sharply, a, a lane is changing, maybe, you know, Florida and produce season or the Northwest. does it takes sometimes a couple days or a week sometimes to catch up that data.
2: So this is another huge misconception um, is that, so our most common rate product is a 7-day rate, right? And you know, people will think they really are going to have me stumped when I'm up on a panel and they're like, "Well, your rates are 7 days old." I'm like, "Yeah, that's a feature, not a bug." <laughs> um, most people, you got to realize, right? Most people using our products on the front end. They're they're sitting in front of, and this is what's cool about working here. Um I get to take new employees and if you walk on any brokerage floor, you don't have to walk more than one row before someone has rate to you or DAT power or DAT one up on their screen, right? You're 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 dealing with what I would consider and I don't mean this in any derogatory way, like the lowest common denominator. And what happens when you break a rate down in less than a seven day moving average is you start to get a day of a week effect. So when you get a one day or a three day average and you're reporting yesterday's data, when you're looking at a one day average on a Monday, you're really looking at Sunday's data. So what we're building is we're building more ways to inform customers that rates are rising or falling. But at the end of the day, the seven day rate, in my opinion, the seven day weighted moving average, that's, you know, it's not that the data seven days old, one seventh of it is seven days old, one seventh of it is six days old. It's we do it that way to smooth out the bumps and to even out the day of week effect. Because your average rate broker, your average carrier sales rep would get very confused if that rate was jumping around a lot, just by day of week effect.
0: You see some lanes They'll obviously have way more fluctuation on a way more basis. Yeah. The last week Water. of shipping
2: watermelons out of Northwest Atlanta, right. Rates go up and then immediately crash down. If there's a hurricane brewing, right. You'll see rates go up and then fall down and then go right back up. So it's the ins and outs of markets. Um, and a cool way to do that, right? Our team's looking at new ways of like looking at the seven day rate minus the three day rate and seeing what that difference is. And if it's a, pl- a positive or negative difference, it'll tell you if rates are rising or falling over the short term. So you
1: could do cool stuff like that. Um, I think like from, from my perspective as a carrier, that I, I mean, I use DET every single day. Um, the first thing I do usually at the end of the day, if I'm checking out a lane for tomorrow or when I sit down in the morning, if I'm checking out a lane for today, I think most brokers, carriers probably do this or should be doing this. Um, instead of relying on the, the number you guys spit out um, for the, you know, that average. I think the most like easiest common way to figure out what's gonna happen to that day. And, and that's the thing in this market, it moves around so much that that 15 day average, seven day average, I mean, that can be very different. Um, I mean, you just open up VAT, you click the rate on the right, you see what's the top number, you see what's kind of the middle ground, what's the low number and now you have you know, in a minute, 60 seconds have gone by, and you see what's actually posted today, what you can expect to make today on that lane. And and that's the thing. Not every load has a posted rate, of course. But, I mean, within 30, 60 seconds, you're going to see, okay, this lane's moving between 1,900 and 1,400. Let me try to get somewhere in between that number, and I should be good um, as far as selling it or picking it up as a carrier. And, um, I mean, I think your guys' averages, it's not like like that's the thing we were talking about it's just there as a guide but if you're basing your business or you're negotiating or you're pricing off that average i mean i think you've already kind of lost uh, in that exchange
2: yeah pricing is a participation sport in truckload right <laughs> it's
1: it's not something you just
2: log in and you, any I, I don't care if it's any app out there that's te- if 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 someone's on the phone if, including the, and I promise this audience that I will, I will make true on this promise. If your DAT sales rep is telling you that all you need to do is look at the rate view rate and start quoting based off of that without any kind of internal or external kind of sussing out of the situation, give me a call, right? Because this is not the way it works. In John's example from earlier, what should have jumped right off the page and it did, right? I mean, John's a super smart guy. He's been in the industry a very long time. I knew the point he was making, What should jump off the page is if, if, all DAT is able to give you is a 15-day region-to-region rate, you got some more homework to do. (laughs) If DAT is giving you a a three-day zip-to-zip rate with 100 reports, you're probably pretty good to go, you know? So it's it's what you talked about, Alex, and it's also kind of like that. It's why it's so hard to start in this industry sometimes Um, because it's (laughs) – explaining to people all of these ifs and buts it's like oh yeah well this lane normally runs for 250 but if easter falls on the second week of april it's typically yeah. going to you know slow produce down and if it's a wet 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 uh, spring in southern california the lettuce crop is going to get delayed and i mean we've all worked i'm sure with produce shippers who can just rattle off all of these crazy things that modify their markets
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we need to take that DAT number and just call it what it is, man. It's an average. Um, It's not like it's a guess. It's obviously backed like we just discovered. It's not backed by the posted rates on the board. It's backed by what loads have ran for documented prices. It's backed by exact data, you know, that the lanes have run for. And I think we just need to kind of take a step back and say, okay, this is just, you know, a rough idea of what the lane's running for over the past little bit. But I think to John's point, he made the point where, you know, the carriers and we do this. I mean, I do this sometimes, too, if if I'm not really familiar, if I just hopped into a lane late in the day where you just click, you see the number. Like for John's example, it said eleven eleven hundred seventy seven dollars. So the carrier clicked on it, saw that number, called him and said, hey, I want a little bit more than that. Thirteen fifty. And I mean, I think, you know, it's there as a tool, but there's many tools in this game. And like we said, are you know your personal data and your personal kind of what you've ran the lane for in in the past, and you got to use all the tools available to you. I think people are sticking to oh, DAT is always wrong on these rates by a little bit here and there, and I mean it's just one tool out of many in the toolbox. You know, yeah, you know who doesn't think DAT data is all wrong?
2: Brokerages that I've personally seen <laughs> scale from ten million to a billion. <laughs> this is what oh. I try to tell carriers, and I and I. It's hard to build trust. Right. So saying this in absence of trust falls on deaf ears. But I try to tell them of like, look, you might not trust this data, but you know who does the person on the other end of the phone. Right. And whether it's us or green screens or freightways or truck stop or any of those folks. If you have nothing, like if you refuse to trust anything, you're going to have a really rough time. <laughs> you're going well, to <laughs> have a bad day. If you pizza when you're supposed to French yeah, fry, you're yeah, going to you have know, a bad yeah. time.
0: <laughs> that's so far. Let's, uh, that's let's touch on, on that a little bit, too, because one of the other things you guys calculate is broker margin. And that's a yeah. you know hot topic right now, especially for carriers and the way the market is. It's obviously not a favorable market for for carriers, um, uh, what kind of goes into the calculation of broker margin and you know, what are your thoughts on why, you know, especially a lot of small trucking companies don't seem to believe or you know trust the data on that?
2: I, so for us, it's really simple. Like uh, people can, you know, twist the words around. It's, it's It's what every broker I've ever spoke to considers to be gross margin. It's the amount I got from the shipper minus the amount I paid the truck. People will call it purchase transportation percentages. They'll call it gross margin. They'll call it gross profit. Either way, it's this. every publicly traded broker I've ever seen reports the same way. They, they take a first slice, which is, I collected $100 million, I paid $85 million to all of my different carriers, and now I have $15 million to pay for my salaries, commission, wages, uh, not wages, fringe, my rent, and all of that. So that's what we mean when we say broker margins. Um, i should be better to be more precise all the time and say broker gross margins because that's really what they are um, on average over the long arc of time brokers make about 15% gross margins they make about 3 to 5% total bottom line profit margins
0: right i think that's key to touch on so like the what the definition of margin is because there's some carriers that think that a broker is charging 4000 for the lane and then you know that the margin is you know 2000 and they're saying that because, you know, they're not calculating the costs of, you know, DAT, the salary and the 10 to 15 percent is after all the cost the brokerage has to pay. But that's not what broker margin is. It's very simple. It's what the shipper pays to, you know, what the broker pays to what the broker you know pays the carrier. Right.
2: Yeah. And again, I- I've tried multiple approaches. Um, there are some people that believe that C.H. Robinson is fraudulently created their financial statements and PricewaterhouseCoopers is in on it, their auditing firm, and it's all one big scheme. And it was, so those people, none of us will ever appease, right? I think <laughs> somewhere in the middle, so here's, and I want to go back to something Alex said earlier, is that it's an average. I think we, it would be helpful for folks to understand that it is an average, but what is an average but a distribution? So you know how like, uh, they say, like, every warning sign has a story behind it, right? Like, don't put your hands under the lawnmower. Well, someone had to first put their hands under the lawnmower to make that sticker
1: yeah, The do not eat Tide
2: Pods that yeah. they had to Do not on eat those. Tide Pods. <laughs> so everything that we deal with most, unless it's a point estimate, everything we deal with in our daily lives kind of has an underlying distribution about it. When they say, you know, men are six feet tall on average, or the average life expectancy is blah, 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 blah. And we see that at work, right? Because there's a fallacy that, that people have a really hard time understanding distributions, like the, the, the royal people. Um, the royal Because the royal, they, they think, so life expectancy was a lot shorter back in the, the, the olden days, right? But, but they, they falsely assume it's because people didn't live longer, when in reality, it's because people didn't die as much at younger age. And it's really the same thing here, right? Like, Broker margins are an incredibly volatile and wide distribution. So the study that I ran and studies you'll find say over the long arc, arc of time, bro- broker margins have a standard deviation that's roughly equal to its mean. So if you plucked one Raycon out of the tens of millions that move every single year, probably hundred million that move every single year, there's probably a 95% chance that it'll be anywhere from negative 15% margin to positive 45% margin. It's a huge range. But if you move 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, 20,000, 10 10 million shipments, it approximates the mean. So everyone likes to vilify TQL and Echo and CH Robinson. And the reality is their margins, just by the laws of kind of, uh, our understanding of statistics are more closely going to resemble the market average than they are some out of whack average,
0: right? I think that's important to, I mean, I would even go a step further. I mean, there's probably brokers that have, 75% Seventy-five percent margin on one crazy load that was last minute at 10 p.m. at night, and there's probably other brokers that have probably lost fifty percent on a load that you know they did to form a relationship. I'm sure there's mass, mass differences in the numbers that you can pull. But the average, the average what is around right now? Twelve percent, I believe, somewhere. Broker margin, twelve percent.
1: Does DAT have access to that? You guys have broker margin? Like, I mean, I, I'm not a broker, so I've never even thought about it. Say it one more time. Uh, does DAT have access to, to you know average broker margins or broker margins in general? Um, I've never even thought about that.
2: Yeah, I just published it. Well, it makes it sound fancy. I put out a paper on this exact topic. Yeah, so um, on about 45% of all the broker loads we get, we see both sides of the transaction. So we see the buy and the sell. Um, so not all... Um, and again, a lot of this is I'm thankful to the people that worked at DAT before me because they thought to ask for it and people said yes. <laughs> right? So um,
1: I'm going to think that, um, you know, because they're pushing that transparency bill. So carriers, drivers can see both sides of the transaction. It's interesting that DAT, like you said, whoever was there before you just thought, hey, like can I just ask these people for it? And, you know, they were lucky enough to get it. So, I mean, I can see like, just from talking to you for, for a little bit here, like you just love numbers. you I can see like the excitement on your face talking about analytics and numbers. and I mean, you're, you're one of the best people, obviously they can have on that team and I'm yeah, just happy, happy to see you enjoy your job. You know, that's so, so oh, I love it.
0: And what did you say? 12% is what it's at Ken right now? Or what is the average broker margin in this market you're seeing?
2: Uh, the study I just published, um, which I will uh, promote on this show, you can check it out on my LinkedIn, or if you're interested, <laughs> I can send it to you or send it to these guys. Uh, I did a study for all of 2023, sorry, not 2013. Um, and across all equipment types, the average margin was 13.47%, which is on the low end of the trading range, to be quite honest. So, um
1: and again, I broke I'll it go down to, to the average. That's an average number. That's not every load. That's not every margin on everything. So no, I know we're no, gonna no, have no. somebody say brokers make more than 13, but like somebody's gonna come out and try to say that. But and I, they do. Yeah. They, I they mean do. Some, yeah. some do. Like all of us who have moved freight at
2: one point in our lives or another have made above average margins, and all of us have completely gotten our butts kicked on a shipment. I, I promise you that. If you spent more than a month moving freight, you you have horror stories about you know, you got slammed with unexpected detention, and they closed the yard an hour early, and you had to hold it overnight and pay the carrier for detention, and you, you're a thousand bucks underwater on a on an eight hundred dollar load. But then we've all had those ones where we have a nice contract in place, and a carrier was desperate to get home, and they offered you
0: less money, and you made 50, 60, 70 percent on the load. It doesn't change that much, does it? Like I'm kind of curious. You know, obviously, it's a broker; it's not a I should say it's not a good carrier market right now, but, you know, when it was a good carrier market, you know, in let's say 2021, for example, you know what, I'm sure you don't have it offhand, the exact numbers, but what, what were the margins like, you know, in 2021 for brokers? It probably wasn't a, you know, stark difference from what it is now, but it's not changing, you know, five to 10% by the year, right? It can. I mean, I think like the historic trading
2: range, if I had to time, bo- if I had to box, it would be like somewhere between 12 and 18% over like the last 15 years.
0: So it's actually on the low end what brokers. Oh, are absolutely. Ways. This is
2: it's why these brokers are going out of business. I mean, look at Surge, Yellow, you know, yellow is kind of a consequence, but yellow tried to stand up its brokerage on its own two feet after the parent company went out and they just couldn't survive. Convoy went out of business. You're seeing all these big brokerages have major layoffs. It's because the margin is compressing.
0: Yeah. And the reason I bring um, that up is a lot of carriers, you know, and you've seen it on Twitter and sometimes on LinkedIn, they think that there's some conspiracy theory to drive rates down by brokers. But I mean, the data from what you're saying, if it's anywhere from 12 to 18, it's at 13 right now. I mean, I'm curious if you would agree, but if rates are higher, in my opinion, you know, brokers generally make higher margins, make more money. So there's not really a motive for, you know, brokers to be, you know, lying about data or manipulating data to make it, you know, lower.
2: And I say this with a tongue in cheek. um, There's, probably 200,000 carriers that operate in and around the spot market every year. If they believed it was possible to do what they're suggesting, they could all just send us Raycons with marked up 30% rates and it would drive the DAT rate up. Right? Like, so if it was possible, which it's not, but if it was possible that brokers were adjusting the data, they send us to push the market down. The logic would need to hold that it's possible for carriers to send us data with artificially inflated Rates to push the market up, and the like. I don't know. I was taught this kind of logic principle early in my career that I think holds a lot of water. It's like, what do I need to believe to believe what you're saying? So it kind of takes the onus on me, off me, believing you, the person, and kind of focuses on your argument. So to believe that, so so anyone who's been in a room with more than a dozen brokers at TIA or CSCMP or any of these events know that you can't get them to agree on anything. Okay. <laughs> But let's just say you could and every year at the tia meeting there's this closed door session where they all agree none of them know how their systems work but let's just pretend they did for a second they all agree to go into their systems after all the loads have delivered and run a script that artificially decreases the amount paid by this amount and they all send it to dat but they have to send it to dat and freight waves and green screens and truck stop and cargo chief and everyone because they have to tell the same story that would be exhausting (laughs) these are people that like airily understand how their TMS works
0: are, are you do you think that the people who are you know skeptical of the data you know d- does that even go through their thought process you know of how difficult it would be to you know manipulate and how large of a scale it would have to be I mean what do you think the biggest you know reason that some of the you know these small carriers you know generally
1: you know don't believe some of this data I won't swear on your show but I think what it comes down to is like Oh, no, you can. It's marked explicit on Spotify. So we're already going to have, you can swear as much as you want. Well, I got actually- my DAT,
2: I got my DAT uh, pull <laughs> So I'll keep it, I'll keep it PG. Look, and I mean this honestly if I was going to be unethical in how I approached analytics, I'm from the Midwest. I, I worked for a boss who would force us to go to TAs and sit, and if really? they saw a FedEx driver, long haul over the road, buy them breakfast and ask them about their pain points every so often. If I could put my thumb on the scale, I would do it for carriers. (laughs) So like they're used to being treated like crap. Like this is what, this is my argument back to some of these folks is you're, you're going to be the dog that catches the car. Because if you viewed, if you had access to the data I had access to, and somehow you found it in your heart to trust it, you'd find that they're not ripping you off. But guess what? I've heard the dispatch calls. I've seen the reports of, you know, dispatchers or brokers forcing drivers to drive when they're too tired and getting in accidents. So, you know, fundamentally, these people have been given all the reason in the world to not believe and trust what folks are saying. So I don't fault them for not trusting. Um, I think it's up to us to earn that trust back in try different ways to explain it, right? Because it's easy for me to say, I've worked in pricing and data science for, you know, 13, 14 years. I've I've been lucky enough to go to school for this. Um, It's easy for me to sit on a high horse and say, you should just get it. Sometimes it's not that easy. You know, I have to make time on the weekends to help it because these people are driving to help explain
0: to them how this works and get their feedback. And you spend a lot of time outside of hours. I mean, I see it on Twitter and LinkedIn. I mean, you were doing a study over like Christmas weekend, I think just like four small carriers and asking their opinion. I mean, it's not really in your job description to be probably working on the weekends doing studies or, you know, trying to get their data, you know, late at night on a Wednesday night. But I mean, you're pretty, you, you want more data and more input from small carriers, right?
2: Yeah. And I think it's tough. Um, because I think you you can get someone to a point where they might trust you, but they still feel like, well, I know that you'd get fired if you were actually honest. So I trust you, but I know the pressure you're under. It's like I'm not I'm not under coercion. I promise you. <laughs> like, in a it's um this is a hard nut to crack. It's easy to go to a event where you get your you know Travis Matthew golf shirt and you get your little bag and you're talking to all a bunch of other business people and you're all kind of on the same page and you have the same background. You may have went to the same school or worked at the same company. This is a harder nut to crack, right? It's, um, you gotta meet people where they are and it requires a level of being humble and understanding and just kind of having patience. And I've got four kids, they're all boys. So I've got patience coming out of my ears.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely.
2: (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's kind of the long and short of how I think about it.
0: I think that's a good, a, you know, a good way, good way to think about it. And it probably, you know, probably changes too. I mean, you're probably hearing more. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're hearing more disbelief in the data now in 2023 than you were hearing in 2021, for example. So, no, um, it, I would equate it to like.
2: May of 2020, whenever the trucker rally went in front of the White House, right, when COVID, everything was shut down and rates, this comes up, there's no trucking company that is going to complain when their operating ratio is at 65 or 70. It's never going to happen, I promise you, right? No one's offering to give money back when rates are really, really high. Um. So it only happens when rates are really, really low. There's an unfortunate truth in um, in the spot market, which is the market will go below the cost to operate. And trucks don't operate like oil wells with billion dollar backers that can afford to shut the well off until it's eco- economical to turn it back on. So the market will go below the cost of operate until enough carriers leave to rebalance supply. Well, and yeah. I mean, we're already there, man. We've been there for. No, we've lost 30,000 net. Right. Yeah. Everyone likes to talk about. And again, this is like a mis- Everyone likes to talk about well, 130,000 carriers have went out of business. Well, yes, but 100,000 carriers have come into the business. To me, the shocking and sobering statistic is that 30,000 net carriers, in counting, have exited exited interstate operating authority. That's crazy,
1: right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like we've been at below operating cost. I would call it the better part of two years, but I mean, if somebody wants to argue with me about that, let's just call it 12 months for argument's sake. I mean when you open up you know the load boards if you're not using you know brokers that know you or you have relationships with I mean you it'll take you less than 10 seconds to find loads 1000 miles $1000 900 miles like 1200. Um I mean we've been below operating costs on a majority of the freight that's out there. I mean you can find the unicorn um you know as a dispatcher as a carrier um, you, you never want to say, hey, there's no freight out there because there, there's always one load. There's always something that's hot. Somebody needs something moved. Um, you know, you don't ever want to come to work and be negative about stuff. But, I mean, we've been below operating cost as a majority of the freight for for so long now, man. And, I mean, I know it's cyclical. We got to wait till everybody gets out. But um, and we've lost a lot of good carrier companies um, due to this. And a lot of it comes from people just beating each other up uh, about pricing. Brokers going in too low. Carriers are actually hauling it, so then they say it's not too low because the freight's moving. But um, I, I don't know. Like we've been below that operating cost for such a long time. Um, I mean, what is DAT? What are you guys, um, what are you guys seeing? Like, do you see a big fluctuation where you see like a four dollar a mile load, and then you know on the same lane, you see, like, see that same lane move for like a dollar fifty? Do you see? like certain lanes moving for high and low numbers, um, just based on like poor negotiation from the carrier? Um, poor negotiation
2: sometimes. More or less, it's
1: freight characteristics.
2: Lead time is a huge variable that people don't seem to consider, right? If I have two days to find a truck, it's going to be a lot different pricing dynamic than if I have to move it same day. Um, a lot of people don't realize that weight has a huge impact. A lot of carriers don't want to hold uh, heavy.
1: Thank you, man. I just had a post about this today. Where we were talking about, you know, some guy said... Oh, I don't save any money on a 20k weight load as opposed to 45k. And I mean, me as a carrier, if your load's 45,000. I'm charging you more. If it's 20,000, I- I'm happy to take less. Um, well, so great. you bring I'm up
2: a great. This is why I, this is a great conversation. I, I very rarely get to talk much on the carrier side,
1: especially <laughs> once you start getting
2: up into that 40 to 45,000. What's your biggest concern there? It's, it's less that it's heavier than. Thirty-five thousand pounds. The huge risk is they load
1: you weird, or they lie—not lie. Lies lie a bad term.
2: They misrepresent the weight, yeah, and then you they, don't scale.
1: They have um, actually what the the term is that we should be using as a uh, you know coming from LinkedIn is there's a margin of error from the customer. That, that's oh, that's something error. I would use. That's something I, oh, I like. That. That, that's the one we've been using. It falls within the standard error. Yeah. The oh. standard margin of error that's allowed, you know, plus three, minus three, plus four, minus four. That's the, there, you know, that's where LinkedIn has agreed that three to 4,000 pounds is a standard error of margin on a load. Are you getting that
0: too when you see, cause like Alex posted today about the weight being wrong and sometimes carriers, you know, ask for more money on the load and, there might be you know, multiple rate cons you know, sent. Are you guys calculating that in your data as well? I mean, do you have a lot of brokers that are submitting one rate con, but when the load delivers three days later and the carrier wanted more money for an extra stop or the weight um, you know, being adjusted in the numbers?
2: Um, we see weight on a lot of transactions, but not a comprehensive number. Um, So we see enough to do like big weight break classifications or we get a lot of requests to do partials, believe it or not. Uh, When I was in the industry and I was doing a study at FedEx for, you know, FedEx was pushing hard for 33 foot pups versus 28 foot. We were looking at some of the partial data to see what that looked like. Um, So DAT is able to break that out. Uh, Weight's tricky, right? Freight brokers don't have an awesome relationship with their TMS. Um, (laughs) They have a hard time sometimes spelling F-A-K. I always bust their chops a little bit (laughs) because like I see F-A-K spelled 90 million. I see general spelled a hundred different ways. Generale, general, general. <laughs> um, so like people, all the time people ask us, like, hey, can you break this out by commodity? It's like, if you know, I, I can't, it's hard to judge intent from data. Like, what did you mean when you put FQT? Like, I don't know. Just because it begins with an F, should I assume it's just general commodity freight? <clears throat> um, it's easier to parse out if I know who the shipper is by like what the shipper's NAICS vertical was. Like, food goods versus consumer package goods versus rolled steel, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Is it difficult too? and I know, you know, makes sense what you're saying on the weight stuff to, to like calculate. Cause one thing I always noticed is, you know, the weekends, you know, some brokers are convinced that you pay more money on the weekends and there's other brokers that are convinced you pay less money on the weekends. And you know capacity is, you know, always interesting on the, on the weekends or at like seven or eight at night. I mean, do you guys you know, puts, consider, you know, doing any studies on like weekend rates or evening rates, as opposed to like a a lane that ran run at something at 9am or 2pm might run $400 higher or $400 less at, you know, 7 to 11pm.
1: Just before you answer let me just put this out there. Like Matt, if you've ever tried to book a load past, let's call it, 6 p.m. Central, you're gonna get only voicemails, and you're gonna hear like you know people that aren't allowed to book freight. And I mean, if we had those numbers, like nobody's gonna hold their truck until after hours because you know they're, they're gonna get more money. Like sometimes no, you do can. get
0: better rates, though. I paid less sometimes late yeah. at night because there's somebody, an owner-operator that working all the time that really needs to get out of there and couldn't get out of there, and there's no other freight out there. So I mean, I'd sure. argue that it can be lower or higher at evening. You know.
1: I mean, as a broker, you have an advantage because you're the one with the freight. You can go to the board, and there's going to be a truck sitting there. As a truck, you, you know that guy's going to take a lower rate, right? Because there's no brokers active at that time. <laughs> but it's probably yeah. hard to calculate that, right, Ken? I mean, it is. Um,
2: it, it's hard for us to get into anything beyond day of week, and we know that Thursday is the most expensive day to buy freight. To buy because it, it's the most risky.
1: Oh, I see. Someone what you're Someone asked me to do this to and I'm
2: surprised by the results. Cause there's a huge risk of having to keep it over the weekend.
1: Mm, yeah. Especially on like those loads that are like around that 650, 700 mile yep, mark. That's exactly what I said. That, yeah, That's like the most or like multi-stop that's where you're, you know, those are yeah. the ones that, you know, you kind of got to hold and clinch man and hope that, that, that those go right. And so it's like a very small
2: trading range, right? Like day of week doesn't have a, t- a huge effect. As long as you don't have a weekend grouped in there. Cause weekends do throw things off completely. Um, But if you look at just weekdays, Thursdays is the most expensive, and you're right. Four fifty to six fifty mileage is when people start to get really nervous
1: about holding it over the weekend. Yeah, because you're not going to make enough money to hold it over the weekend on that mileage, and uh, you're you're running the risk of sitting there with it. So, I mean, on Thursdays, you got to know your driver. You got to know the broker, the load, Um, because if you're in that you know six hundred range on a Thursday, you 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 never know what's going to happen Friday. so but do you guys see this is a question I have for you guys um that I should probably you know check into a little more myself but um I've seen like as a trend as a whole over you know power only drive-ins um that's kind of what I deal with but um Fridays seem to have cheaper freight lately because I mean you used to like bank on Friday you know, you'd run next day next day next day try to position yourself maybe on a two-day or on Wednesday to be somewhere nice on a Friday Memphis Arc somewhere where you know you're going to get a long haul but I've seen Friday rates are dropping. Like you're like struggling to make two grand on a Friday these days. Is that something you guys notice in the data? Uh, I don't know that I'm following. Um, I like, guess he's saying saying, like the overall, Friday, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'll I'll just say this, I had the question too. He's saying Friday is the. Are you seeing that you know the data you know, rates are lower? He's saying he's getting less you know on a lane on a Friday than he would on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. I have to go back and look. I don't know. Friday is like the most volatile for sure. Like
2: in a a tight capacity market, that last truck out of Chicago on a Friday is the most expensive truck in America. (laughs) Right. Uh, But like in a loose market, Friday, you're really just trying to clear the deck and go go home. So I think like this is what so – there's no like – I tell all my new folks, whenever anyone tells you like an absolute in freight – it's not true. Like it's always expensive to ship freight on blank. It's like no. What if, what if Thanksgiving falls a week? You know, because you know it could fall depending on the calendar. Or what if, you know, Easter or Memorial way Memorial Day falls. It's like there's no real absolutes in our business. The only absolute is things are very very volatile, um, and they can change very very quickly.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I, I mm-hmm. noticed you know in the industry a lot of people say oh holidays rates are going to be through the roof. But you know I remember. Not this past Thanksgiving, but the Thanksgiving before, you know, all my lanes I was paying less around the holidays, Thanksgiving than I was normally. And, you know, everyone was talking about how you're gonna pay astronomical you know, on the holidays. And I think it just shows it's absolute. It depends on what market, what holiday, you know, so many different factors, right?
2: Yeah. The calendar I had an amazing mentor when I got into the freight. You know, he was our ops engineer. He was at Roadway for a very long time. He taught me the importance of like the count. He would ask these questions and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, Kevin? Like who, what, who? he's like, what day does Thanksgiving uh, fall on this year? I'm like, it's always Thursday. He goes, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a, because if you look, there is a, there's a, there's a way where you might have four, anywhere from like three and a half to almost four and a half shopping weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Maybe I have that wrong. Maybe it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, you're right. This year we had a little bit less time than we did last year. So freight isn't as compressed. Uh, like Christmas falling on a Monday is a completely different thing to deal with than Christmas falling on a weekend or a Wednesday. So like, there's a definite calendar to freight, um, that can really impact what's happening short term. I like to look at freight. Like when I'm looking at like year over year comparisons, I like to like take each year and look at it by, uh, like the actual date, the day number of the year, one through 365. And that can really show you some of the huge differences and like where Thanksgiving fell in the year, where Easter, where, um, the fourth of July fell on a day of week basis. You can really see how the years stack up, um, comparatively speaking.
0: Well, it's uh, it's interesting. Your, your your job, just looking at so many different things. You know, it's it would be it would be interesting. I don't think you can ever ever
1: get really bored at your job. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, um, the, the, to be in this industry, it doesn't matter if you're you know broke or a carrier, you know, working in analytics. Um, obviously Ken's you know one of the people that enjoys what he does and like you were saying earlier like he goes and works on some personal time and you have to have a love for this industry especially in times like this where you know everybody's stressed out everybody's at each other's throats there's no trust there's rampant fraud um, you really got to love what you do um, to be able to be in this industry um, at this type of capacity you, know? you do
2: and it's there's a lot to love it was it it um... <clears throat> It's the people, it's the problems, it's, um, it's the, um, it's never boring, right? Anyone who's worked in freight for a long period of time, I've never heard the word boring thrown around because it's either hair on fire, capacity's tight, I don't know what I'm going to do, or it's, there's no freight, I need to go work my tail off to secure more loads and keep my trucks or my carriers moving. There's really hardly an in-between. And unfortunately, 2023 was kind of one of those in betweens. 2019 was another, um, where it's there's not a ton happening. Uh, but I think that'll change. I'm I'm very optimistic for 2024. I don't think it'll be a gangbusters year, but I certainly think it'll be better than last year.
0: How do people make those type of predictions? That's what I'm interested. Because in. you hear people guess. all the time on the time, like, are some people just like guessing? I- I'm sure because you hear like all these different predictions from different, you know, like. Freightways, for example, you know, they said that, you know, they made the only or one of the only accurate predictions, you know, last time with the, you know, with the market. And then there's other people who have different predictions. Like how are these people coming up with these predictions, I guess.
2: I have a lot of respect uh, for Craig Fuller, but we differ in kind of our risk appetite for making those type of predictions. Right. I, I, um, Craig knows a ton about the industry, right? A ton. He, he's probably one of the most knowledgeable true freight people with his father, you know, growing up in that, um, you know, running around the office of the headquarters of US Express, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think getting a read on where the market is going to go and then gaining surety around what you believe is probably where Craig and I differ a little bit. Um, I think he's a little more quick to make a call, uh, because we're all kind of looking at the same data. I think that's where everyone's generally looking at the same data. It's just how they're interpreting it. And and I tend to view the risk of being too wrong, the risk of being wrong or too early slash too late. I tend to weight that heavier than some of other folks in the industry. And there's some other folks who are way more conservative than me. And in my opinion, they kind of miss the boat in both directions. They're just sort of like (laughs) milk toast. Like they're you know they've been calling for a recession for 10 years and they were finally right once so i think you'll find some sources that are a little more aggressive in so like craig's folks or craig himself will probably call the recovery faster than i might looking at the same data like if you put if you gave craig and i the same exact sheet of reports my guess i don't want to put words in craig's mouth is that he and his team will feel more comfortable calling a recovery than i would
0: it's it's interesting is it kind of like you know politics, basically, at election night, you see some networks call call things yeah. earlier and other networks wait till the end. And sometimes you call things too early, you can be wrong. And sometimes people say that you should, should have called it three hours ago, you know, for whatever candidate. Oh. Yeah, so it's that. Um, what do I
2: look for? Uh, the, the narrowing of the spread between spot and contract is a huge indicator. Um, that is an absolute metric of what's actually happening right now. Um, i think when i look at load to truck ratios uh, that's another good metric for me when i look at um new truck orders haven't slowed down that much which i think is another this time last cycle truck orders went negative right there were more cancellations than there were to orders some months um and i think kind of at the absolute highest level um i look at the rates coming into the routing guide what are they replacing so if the rates coming into the routing guide are lower than what they're replacing, the market still has room to come down. Once they run even and start going up, the market's going to start coming back up, right? Because contract rates are a forward-looking expression of the current spot market. And those are the things I look at. And in my business, um, it's, less, it's really less about being right or first. Um, it's more about being consistent and kind of more like holistically
0: reasoned. I'm glad uh, you, you were in the that, media business. You know. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because, you know, I, I thought it was interesting what Craig put up on uh, Twitter a while ago. He's like, you know, if DAT was really, you know, messing with the data like a lot of small carriers, you know, think we'd be the first to first to say it. Because, you know, you have a lot of the DAT has competition. It's not just you guys that are doing the rates and you're know, making, you know, making forecasts. There's a lot of companies that are looking at this data, right?
2: Yeah, when I picked myself up on the floor after reading that, I, I, I appreciated it, right? Because I think um, I, at his core, I just fundamentally believe, not to make this about Craig, I just think he has like a, such a deference and respect for this industry um, that those claims tear at the fabric of what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're just maybe trying to do it differently, or we don't agree with each other's approach, or we don't like the other way the other person's talking about it. But in its fundamental core, if we had to pick our competition with each other, or the overall well-being of the industry. I bet dollars to donuts that me, Craig, any of them, any of the credible people, would pick the the, the credibility of our industry above all. Right? Like I have no ill will or animosity towards Truck Stop at all. They're some of the friendliest people you'd ever meet. We have tons of mutual customers. They're from Idaho. How could they not be nice? Right. Um, <laughs> There's no animosity, right? That's
1: man. Like, we're from Idaho. We have you
2: yeah, to- <laughs> have to be nice. They're so, they hired a social media person who's been getting a little more, like, snippy and aggressive. It's like, okay, cool. Like, whatever. Like, I'll post some memes, whoever's too. Whoever's
1: running it, man, is doing a good job. They're
2: doing a bang-up job. But it's like, it's still out of character for them and for us because yeah. we're just, we we compete fiercely. We compete <clears throat> fiercely with freightways. but. When there's like an intruder that's coming in that's like trying to undermine what our entire collective business is, that's not going to happen. I, I, you've seen me, I think, in action. I won't allow that to happen to the extent that I can control it. Yeah, and
0: that, and that I think you hit it right on the head. You know, everyone's has the same common common goal. When people are you know coming out to, there was some big scheme going on. You know, all these different companies that would be competing against each other would have to be all coming coming together. Which you know is why it's surprising to me that so many small carriers don't trust the data. But that's just my opinion, you know. Well, yeah, because it's the squeaky wheel problem, right? It's the machine that's humming
2: along. Um, doesn't get much attention until it blows up stupendously, right? It's the squeaky, yeah. it's the, um, but look, I think you have to understand uh, what in the big Lebowski, it's like, follow the money, right? It's like, you, some of these people have a very, very, very vested interest in making sure that carriers don't get smarter about how they operate. And you could say that that's the number one, that, that is what they're pointing directly at me and us, right? You have a vested interest. And I point back at them and say, I have 110,000 carrier customers that sign my paycheck. Right. Yeah. I deeply am invested in their success. So I guess you just kind of got to make a judgment for yourself as a third party observer and where that is.
1: I mean, I think that's like a, one of the truest statements I've heard. I never really thought about that. Like, there is obviously a common interest from a lot of, you know, contributing parties. To, to have carriers and more so i mean the, the thing is we talk about carriers and carriers and everyone has a different opinion or like i mean not even an opinion but just in their head when when you hear the word carrier what do you imagine you know, do you imagine one guy with his mc number in his truck or do you imagine a carrier that has 200 trucks in their fleet or do you imagine you know a, a carrier that has 10 trucks in their fleet um, I mean, when it comes down to it, most people, when, when you hear the word carrier, they think, you know, somebody with like 20, 30 trucks, one MC number has has a decent sized fleet. But um, I mean, we all know that the number is you know, most carriers are like a one person operation. And um, I think there is an interest in keeping drivers of those carriers, you know, not uneducated, but uneducated. Nobody wants the carriers to learn how to negotiate. Nobody wants the carriers to to kind of be educated on these things. And, um, you know, I had some guy on LinkedIn say the other day, you can't fault somebody, you know, for having a poor education. And I came back to him and told him, like, I have high school education. Nothing stops any human in this day and age with all this, you know, Internet that we have access to. Uh, And if you're running a business, that's another thing. If you're opening an MC number and you're running a business, like you have to be educated to not take, you know, you have to know your operating costs. Don't take freight that that's going to put you at the end of the week in the minus. And I think you're right. Um, I never thought about it. There, there are people out there that don't want the carriers to, to be educated. They don't want them to be smarter. Um, but I think not like he right? like has carriers, like we're, we're the ones, you know, signing up or you know, so you guys have carrier customers.
2: Yeah. And it's, you know, this, this, um, there's a guy on Twitter that I've just so much enjoyed. I don't know what his actual name is. He goes by Mac truck labor advocate on Twitter. And I'm just fairly certain that he absolutely hates my guts, but likes arguing with me in a positive way. Right. And it's just funny how we see the world on rates and analytics at a polar office, like this new, uh, not new, but the, what's coming out now about um, independent contractor classification is right in his wheelhouse. He, from what I can tell, talking with him, he's forgotten more about truck labor laws and regulations than I've ever learned. And so like, Out of wanting to like attack each other over this one specific issue, I've made a connection and I had a great, I learned a ton talking with him just yesterday about, and he, he sent me a bunch of articles and literature to go read about what this means for the business. So if you're open-minded, right, there's a lot to be learned, whether they have formal education, I mean, this guy could be a lawyer for all I know. I've never met him. Um, But my point is that there's so much to actually be learned if you're willing to set aside maybe this one or two issues that you like disagree on. Like I would never talk to a Michigan fan if I kind of held by my truthers as an Ohio state grad. Um, I mean, they didn't cheat to win a national championship, but other I than that,
1: saw a really good, uh really good uh, quote very recently. It said the mind is like a parachute and it doesn't work if you don't open it. And it just It's a true statement. I, I'm oh, wow. sitting on a
2: like 2000 word response that, um, the T-N-O-O-A sent on my paper that I'm going to meticulously read and respond to every point um, just because that's what you do. You don't put like, and maybe this is the last point as we begin to write this up like when you when you make claims like this, and my advice to people just getting into this industry or analytics in generals, it's hard because you have to make yourself very vulnerable to make a claim, a big bold claim to be able to go out and say, look, I believe, based on what I've done, that broker margins last year were 13.47%. You have to be willing to defend that claim against the cuckoo birds, the skeptics, the people who might be legitimately armed with data that disproves your approach, um, and then people that disagree with your methods. And that's not easy, right? They're gonna find the cracks in the facade. They're gonna find ways that you messed up. They're gonna find examples that contradict your point you've got to be willing and vulnerable to go through that process or else like what you're saying has no meaning yeah.
0: I think that's a great it's a great thing to wrap it up on you know there's you got to have you got to have meaning to it and you know be open-minded and um, we've appreciated having you on I think we got into a lot of the meat of data and um, anything else you want to you know talk about before we kind of you know wrap things up
2: no I sent you the study if anyone's interested uh, you can reach out to me um, on LinkedIn or I'm the freight nerd on uh, Twitter. Um, I'm more than happy to engage, um, pretty much freight analytics and college football are my two fortes. Um, if you want to go round and round, I'm, a, I'm also a born and raised Steeler fan. So I'll be excited this weekend, but you can find me anywhere. I'm more than happy to have these conversations. I don't shy away from the tough conversations, um, and, and find me and we'll chat.
1: Sounds, I mean, it I it's really nice, man, to meet you. I mean, I've seen obviously you around. um I'm a carrier; I don't have you know too much focus on on certain things, but uh, it was really nice to meet you, man. You knew the South Park reference. You gave us your time. I learned, you know, the the most important thing about DAT average rate system today, and uh, you know, I'm sure I'll see you around. Um, so I uh, just appreciate yeah. you being here, man.
0: Yeah, thanks again, Ken, and have a great, uh, great rest of the week. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
1: Well, man, a bombshell, a bombshell from Ken on how DAT rate system works that has been literally talked about since the beginning of time. And, you know, finally today we hear how it actually works. I'm sure he said it other places too. Uh, oh yeah,
0: he he's said it, he said it before. It's, it's interesting. If you want to see some good debates, you know, go on because Twitter is a lot more trucker heavy than broker heavy. Uh, where I'd say LinkedIn is more broker heavy. I um, mean, there's a lot of interesting conversations, and Ken's very, you know, like you said, you know, he'll answer those questions, and there's a lot of interesting dialogues on on
1: Twitter that I've enjoyed enjoyed reading. Yeah, I mean, we have a bunch of comments. I didn't want to slap them up while you we were talking with Ken just because they're they're sort of unrelated to DAT. There's been some conversation between what looks like some carriers, and I mean, it's just crazy to me to think you know, like we had Ken on, he tells us exactly how the system works from inside of the company as a representative of that company. And yesterday, like this picture, this picture was just me casually, like I use Reddit a lot, but you, I think you told me, somebody told me, follow that uh, freight brokers, you know, subreddit. And I was just like randomly going through my Reddit and this came up to me yesterday where you see the guys say, oh, like, you know, the rates come from the posted rates, four pick, two drops, you know, changes rates. And, this these numbers are made up and I mean, it's just crazy. The motivation to
0: to, it's crazy to me too. Cause like, what's the motivation? Like follow the money as Ken said. I mean, a lot of these companies don't exactly agree on everything. Truck stop, DAT, freight waves. You know, if there's some big conspiracy, I think the other one would be the first to out another, you know, they're not exactly like, they're their, their competitors. You but know? I mean,
1: so, we have to leave it at this. And this is what Ken agrees on this. So everybody you know should be agreeing on like that DAT average. they all of their data. Every single data company in logistics is just one like one of your tools in your toolbox. If you are basing, you know, negotiating freight or quoting freight on both sides, brokerage or carrier on this type of data. I mean, you've already failed at your job because you should be you know using your past ran low data or last year's data or, you know, last week's data of stuff that you've done. And, you know, you take all of these numbers and, you know, you average them out and you make your decision on, you know, your experience. And um, I mean, like John was saying, like everybody, even Ken said it, if you base your business on, you know, DAT's analytics, anyone's analytics, you're doing your business, you know, an injustice because... I mean what are you there for at that point? What are you supposed to do? Just open up DAT, click the box, whatever DAT says, that's that's what you should be running the truck at. Yeah. No. I mean what what are you even there for at that point? You know, anyone can do that. That's not how the business works. No, 100 percent
0: well we'll be uh we'll be back on uh on friday i think ingrid you said is sick, so we'll be moving that show yeah. till next yeah, week we have to move
1: tomorrow's show ingrid's uh not feeling well but we've got to reschedule sometime next week or the week after and uh, we're good for friday still. So.
0: yeah we'll have john rogers and ben ham on on friday at 5 p.m eastern And we got a we won't announce it yet but we have a really good show next week for somebody making their podcast debut that i think a lot of people are gonna want to hear so
1: that'll be a yeah. late but it'll Just be fun. To, to end it on a pro dat positive note since kind of such a great guy i, I like that guy i, I like DAT. I'm a DAT user and you know like people real people trust the dat rates you know better than most most others out there and you know they, they are fairly fairly accurate um they are i mean john posted a rare example of a 150 mile load where that's not, you know, there's a cost like four or 500 bucks to turn the key of the truck. So, I mean, when you're dealing in small loads like that, you know, you're you're not getting accurate, you know, accurate enough data to, to price 150 mile load. Some guy will pay you 200 bucks, some guy will pay you 2,000, depends you know, how urgent it is. But anyways, man, let's wrap it up. That was good. Yeah. Good show. Good good DAT knowledge that we just got from Ken. And I'll see you Friday, man. Sounds good. Have a good rest of the day. Take it easy, bro. All right. Bye.